you can't see anything really in black and white anymore. Everything is gray, you know? So there can't be just joy. There can't be just sadness. Like it, there is always usually something of a mix, but, um, but it doesn't have to be one or the other. And how beautiful is that? Welcome to Chasing Curiosity. I'm your host, Alicia Tillman. On this episode, my dear friend, Christine Renaud, shares her experience with grief. Her vulnerability created space for us to explore what she has learned and is still uncovering about herself and her journey. Grief, in all of its forms, is incredibly painful. One of the reasons I started this podcast was to make space for conversations that don't happen often enough in life, even the uncomfortable ones. Sitting with others in their pain and not trying to do something to fix it is hard. Most times it's the only thing we can do and it's the only thing we need to do, just to be there. The pain of grieving is part of what it means to be alive. At one point in our conversation, Christine said something that really struck me about the pain of this journey. She said, if I had to go through this, then I wanted to feel it for what it was. I think this is fundamental about being human. It's easy to want to wish away feelings that are uncomfortable and painful, but those are just as much a part of what it means to be human as the joyful feelings. I hope you feel inspired by Christine's vulnerability. Hey everyone, I am here today with my very, very good friend, Christine. Hi. (laughs) And we are going to have a conversation today about um, grief and loss and what that looks like and and kind of her experience with that um and so to start it off we're not we're not gonna dive right into that right away we're gonna first learn a little bit about um I love to hear kind of an intro to you like what you've been up to where you live what you do who you are how would you sum yourself up um you know in a a paragraph oh wow uh I am Christine that's my name (laughs) I am uh an a-, a comedic actress living in LA. I've been out in LA for 12 years now, which is wow. bizarre. And uh born and raised St. Louis. Um but beyond that, I didn't have the most typical childhood. I was uh homeschooled in a very religious Midwestern family with uh five other siblings, so there were six kids of us uh or six kids. And um and yeah, so that I made at 21 years old, I made the jump to LA to to give this whole comedy and acting thing a try and never looked back. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a lot of years. That's are you ever just a lot of years? <laughs> it's crazy. I have moved to like three different cities in that time. And I'm always mm-hmm. curious about people who like, like moved somewhere and stuck it out and stayed and how yeah. that, um, how, what that feels like to like kind of you've developed a relationship with Los Angeles. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's what I call home now and I call St. Louis, like where my family's at. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't say it's been the most healthy 12 year relationship I've had, but, uh, uh, but I really do love LA and I love the opportunity to at least get to pursue my dreams, even though it's doesn't always turn out the way I want it to. (laughs) (laughs) At least the chance beats out living somewhere else and working in something I don't want to be doing. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So, so what I would love to hear like a little bit about your family dynamic and like what it was like growing up for you in St. Louis and just like being homeschooled and, Mm -hmm. um, you have a lot of siblings. (laughs) I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I always say that it was like a little different than, than most people's typical uh, relationship with their family. Um, like I said, homeschooled Midwestern family, six kids. My brother was um, the oldest and the only boy. And then there's five girls. I am third in line, second oldest girl. And yeah, it's just a, it was, it was always a zoo at our house, but it was a loving zoo and um, never really had uh, like I said, I, I experienced school two weeks a year when we'd go take the state tests uh, with other schools. And that's how the state could judge whether we were li- uh, learning. And my mom was doing a good job <laughs> at teaching us. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and so, yeah, we'd always score in the top 90th percentile and they'd give us the, 
the check mark that we were good to go and see you guys in another year for two more weeks of school. But other than that, yeah, it was just kind of not wake up whenever you want, but with that many kids, my mom had a hard time controlling all of us. Um, but yeah, so it was, I was around my siblings all day, every day. Uh, there was no break. There was no different grades. There was, I mean, we obviously learned different grade levels, but we all did it generally downstairs in our basement. Um, that was like our schoolroom classroom. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was all of us all the time, which I don't know anything else um, until I love it. And I loved growing up. We were uh, very unusual kids, uh, but very inventive and playful and for the most part. And my mom gave us a good environment so that, you know, we weren't socially awkward. I mean, maybe to some, but but we had a pretty good, just by there being so many of us, we had a pretty good social right. uh, communication and ability. So, but yeah, my brother was sort of like the little ringleader of the bunch. And he just had five sisters who adored him and did whatever he wanted. And he could basically convince us to do anything like, you know, trade a, you know, he'd give us his big nickel for our tiny dime and, and stuff like that. And we'd believe him and go along with it. <laughs> that's amazing uh, so yeah he he's was the best <laughs> but he always he wasn't your typical older brother that like you know would look at as we started getting older would look at boys and want to beat them up like he was definitely a more gentle tender soul mm-hmm. but I if I never doubted for one minute that my brother had my back and like mm-hmm. would have really any of my siblings had my back and would have you know, gone to war for me and vice versa. I think that's a super special thing about bigger families. Not every big family is like that, but um, it's a special dynamic. At least it appears from the outside to be a special dynamic um, to have all of you guys in the same house. Like, like, I feel like that with my brother, like no one knows what it was like to grow up in the Tillman house, you mm-hmm. know, in the 1980s slash nineties, um, <laughs> early two thousands. Um, but but I only share that with one sibling and it's special and it's a bond that, I mean, it's like, it's, it's a, the most unique bond that exists, I feel like. Yeah. Um, but to have that with so many people, like you all mm-hmm. have your own unique experiences of what it's like to grow up um, in your family, but then you also share it, you share it together. And yeah, um, absolutely. You, I think that's so special. Yeah. Are there any like memories that come to mind, either like fighting or or um like you know mushy nice emotional ones or like what comes to mind when you think of like childhood like what is like your top or most visceral memory um I mean when it comes to like like just us kids we used to (laughs) my mom would just find things to do at like dollar stores because again six kids they didn't have a lot of money and homeschooling them also only one parent work so um you know, they didn't have a, a lot of money. And, and so my mom would just be able to find, and I, she, she used to find like clown makeup, but it was always like kind of off brand shitty clown makeup. So it would just sort of be smudged all over and they'd have like different sections for different colors. But so we'd put on like clown makeup and there's pictures of us from just being very young. Like, I mean, my sister at the time who was one of the youngest was probably like three, four mm-hmm. and my brother was nine and, and all of us in between. And then, and yeah, he just, <laughs> put clown makeup all and we'd put on plays or skits and uh for like the neighborhood and the other kids would join us and we'd do something for all the parents or mm-hmm. um uh or yeah we'd we'd be all doing our school together and so my brother was a math genius and uh so he would have to like tutor us <laughs> since once we got to a certain level my mom and dad didn't couldn't help us with the math anymore so but he was always so advanced that he he would have to help us and like tutor us and so that was that would always keep him at his uh he'd have to really try to keep his cool because (laughs) I mean who wants to tutor your younger sisters for free and he also he also taught us piano my mom like paid for him to get lessons and he was naturally very gifted so he like was classically trained in piano and then she had him teach all of us so it was her way to save money and uh yes very very inventive mother yes exactly but it just meant that we all had to learn piano we couldn't learn another instrument so that was the one that they bought that was the one that we could all practice on that was decision made so 
um yeah but overall it was like it's really funny I mean we'd always uh do like lunches in our kitchen and because we'd have to make it you know my mom would be busy doing other stuff or she eventually as we got older um I think when I was like 11 or so she went into real estate um because they just they needed a second income Mm -hmm. and she ended up being very successful at it and still does it now and is a wonderfully successful agent in St. Louis and um but it just meant she got a little distracted and she, she could be on the phone and she's very much a social extrovert. And so, uh, my sister tells this story of like, whenever we'd hear the phone ring uh, and my mom, if we heard like two names, one was either Debbie masters, who was the pastor of the church that they attend and my parents helped start. And two is this woman named Candy Summers. (laughs) A very unusual name, but that was her name. <laughs> um, and if we heard either of those names, my mom was like, "Oh, hi, Debbie. Hi, Candice or Candy." We know we'd had a good solid hour to goof off because she'd be she'd be just on the phone talking and she'd lose track of us. So we could go play games. My brother was like the game master. He would just invent games for us. Uh, like the beanie baby toss where we'd all sit on opposite ends of the, or we'd lay down on opposite ends of the sectional couch and we'd toss like beanie babies, arced beanie babies over each other. And if you hit like the torso, it was like five points and either of the limbs were like 10 or whatever. And the head was 15. And, and so he, (laughs) we were all super competitive, but it was definitely led by him. And, uh, and, and again, cause he was the oldest too. Yeah. Um, and he just, I mean, countless games that were looking back so ridiculous and didn't even make sense, but we had fun and we were entertained and we loved goofing off and laughing with each other and, and being silly with each other. Yeah. That's so funny. That is it. Like knowing that name and knowing you have time, it's like <laughs> mom's busy. That's it. So <laughs> it's like, minimum an hour we've got like yes what are we gonna do <laughs> exactly um yeah so you it sounds like you had a really unique and special childhood and that your your family is close and that you have this like special bond um so we're talking about loss um you had something super super devastating happen to your family to you um a couple of years ago would you um, tell me about that experience. Yeah. So we're coming up on the two year anniversary, which is bizarre. April 21st, uh, 2018. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously I only know my perspective. So, uh, or, you know, firsthand experience my perspective. So, uh, it was a Saturday morning and I had actually just, um, finished a yoga class and was driving home and got a text, uh, from my mom saying that my, uh, brother had been in an accident in a car accident and they didn't know anything else and to be just you know praying that everything was okay and that you know he was fine and they'd let us know as much as we can so I immediately started getting you know a little panicked and upset because it wasn't like a you know he was in this but he's fine it was just sort of a we don't know uh so I ended up getting home to my house and was a little kind of out of sorts I had texted a couple friends and um and let them know that this was happening and if they could just be like you know sending out some good thoughts and prayers and so about uh 10 minutes later uh I was in my room at this point with my uh my roommate who kind of heard me I at this point started crying Mm -hmm. and um my sister had texted back saying like I don't think this is good like the police came to his uh, my brother uh has a wife and um, two boys at the time, and she was pregnant with their third son. And so they, the police came to their house and you know asked for her and kind of was like, come with us. So my sister, who is a nurse uh, in St. Louis, uh, knew something was kind of off. And, uh, uh, and then, yeah, so my roommate was with me and we were kind of talking about it and she was sort of consoling me. And it was about, I guess probably from start to finish 15 minutes from when I got that first text of, to my mom, to my mom calling me. Um, and uh, it's one of those things where like, I don't have the best memory of like in general, I remember feelings, not moments or not specific details, but I'll never forget the moment that my mom called and I picked up the phone and she just in her 
strongest possible sense was just like, Christine, he's gone. Uh, we lost him. And she cracked and broke um, on the phone. And I don't quite remember everything. I mean, I do remember everything, but I, it's all kind of a blur. I just remembered I started like, you know, saying no a lot. And she asked if anybody was around and I said my roommate. And, uh, and, I, and my mom was just like, hand her the phone. And so I handed her the phone and, and my mom, I guess, started giving her kind of the rundown of what she needed my roommate to do for me and in order to kind of get me on a plane and back to them. And uh, uh, yeah, it's very surreal. I don't, I just remember it not processing for, I mean, really for a while, but definitely in that first uh, day, I guess, few hours, uh, my my rational mind knew that he had died, but nothing in me mm-hmm. believed it. Um, or it couldn't like make sense in my body somehow. So, uh, yeah, in that moment, you sort of uh, split into, you split into uh, the person who spent a life with someone and then this sort of new normal that doesn't include them physically. And uh, yeah, it, you, you, uh, you never go back. There's, there's legitimately no, no way to go back to who you were uh, after you've experienced a loss uh, like that. That's so close. You just have to ultimately attempt to find a new normal. Um, but yeah, so he had suffered a heart attack. He was 36 and healthy and he actually had played soccer the morning he died. Um, <clears throat> it's called the Widowmaker. Um, it affects men in their 30s and 40s, and they don't even know exactly what it is, but basically his left, uh, forgive me in my biology, I think it's descending artery, um, was completely blocked. And um, we don't fully know if it was, uh, like, we don't think it was plaque buildup, but it was probably a blood clot. Um, and yeah, it can just happen. And uh worst part is he was at the doctor like a month before complaining of some not chest pains but he actually felt it in his throat he felt like he had a fur ball that he couldn't get out and my brother does not like the doctor in any form so uh my sister-in-law forced him to go after he kept talking about it and she unironically said like you're not gonna leave me to raise these boys alone go to the doctor mm-hmm. so uh that was one of the hardest things he was like just there but when you're 36 and all your tests come out fine there's no reason they're gonna go look at your arteries um so there's not really much anything anybody could have done but uh so he had as i said played soccer that morning and then wasn't feeling well he was feeling like nauseous and a headache Again, not really symptoms that you expect for a heart attack. And uh, and so he went to go lay down because he thought he was dehydrated. He'd just been playing sports. And one of my cousins was playing with him and checked in on him and and uh, then went back and came back a few minutes later and he had gotten up and left. My brother had left him to drive home. And, uh, and so it happened while he was driving home. And he, uh, um, at least at from what we know, there was a first responder um, off duty driving behind him just as a, um, you know, not pedestrian um, person. Yeah, civilian driving behind him. But he noticed that the car went off the road and up a hill and there were no brake lights. So he knew something was wrong and he got to the car in time and it had, uh, my brother was already passed out and probably already gone. Um, but he broke the window and pulled him out and started doing CPR and ambulance was there within three minutes and they did everything right. Like if, if he had a chance, it was through everything that was done, but yeah, it was probably almost instantaneous, but 
we're hoping or, you know, if I know my brother well enough, which I think I do, is he felt something and swerved off the road to not involve other people. Oh, so yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's something that I like to carry with me. Um, that's really beautiful to think about. Yeah. Him taking care of everybody else, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, you mentioned the idea of this like split in yourself, Mm -hmm. um, of like this before and after versions of yourself and how you like, there's no way to go back to that. Um, was that something you processed through over time? What, um, yeah. Was there anything immediate that you could feel within yourself in that way? Or was it just the overcome with the feelings of grief and, and loss? Yeah. I think it's shock at that point. You do a lot of like, Oh my God, I want to go back a day. I want to go back 24 hours. I want to go back 48 hours. I want to go back 72. Just like every day you start like, it's not quite bargaining. Like I wasn't at the bargaining place quite yet, but, but it's just like, you're in disbelief that just hours earlier, you know, life was completely different. So it it was mostly shock the first, that like that whole time home. Um, I mean, if I'm honest, it was shock for a year, but Right. Uh, it comes in different waves, but the initial shock was definitely that whole time when you're home and uh, living in, you know, walking around in his house or where he walked or doing things that he did. Um, it, yeah, it feels, it felt hollow um, mm-hmm. and just un, unable to process. Um, you know, like I said, I think in the sense that when I was saying like you kind of split, you also sort of, (laughs) there's just so much splitting, you also sort of split in the sense that like, at least for me, you have your rational mind, like I have been in therapy for years, so I've been able to actually give voice to, you know, certain things that I'm feeling or uh, so my rational brain knew I was in trauma and I was in shock and I was in grief. but yeah, I don't think it gets to your body yet. So in a way you feel like you're a zombie <laughs> sort of walking around and like just crying. Um, and you sort of are, uh, you live a lot in either the past or the future mm-hmm. in that shock because you don't want to experience the now. So you live in the memories of the past. We watched a lot of like home videos or um like I would Im- immediately uh, start looking through family group texts or mm. texts between me and my brother. And all of the things that I loved him doing. And then you also live in the future of, well, he won't be here for this. Right. Um, you know, one of the first things after my mom told me on that phone call that he was gone, my immediate uh, initial, because of course grief is individual. It's specific to you. So so in grief, uh, you almost forget <laughs> manners, I guess. Like, <laughs> you know, my first thought was about me and, and my brother. Like he, he won't meet uh, my husband or my kids won't know their Uncle John. And not wanting to go there to that, like not wanting for that future to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it it's very, it's a very bizarre thing. I can understand um, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk more about this. I am a huge advocate for therapy. Uh, I feel like everyone should be in it. (laughs) Um, But I definitely feel so much empathy for people who aren't in it and experience grief. Mm. Uh, Because I I don't know how I would have processed it if I hadn't already built blocks for it, um, for processing pain. Right. And for talking myself through what is rational versus what like 
shock or my anxiety is feeling. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, like I could tell that I could live in two different places and it would be okay, you know, um, or I could give myself grace through knowing that what, what I was experiencing um, was abnormal. <laughs> and uh, it is not common and that's not what humans are. I mean, it's obviously a part of life, but this sort of traumatic uh, ripping apart of someone from your life is not necessarily something that uh, we're made to feel. Right. It's interesting because I like, I feel like, like you just said, we are, it's a part of life, loss, like death. Um, But imagining our lives other than they are like yeah. not by our choice right it's hard to process in any aspect and this is the final like it's the thing that you can't come back from and that is yeah it doesn't make sense it doesn't like yeah at least for exactly. me like how, how do you how does your brain like start to hold like onto that being reality when it just doesn't make sure. sense yeah exactly exactly thanks for sharing that that's yeah. that's a lot and that um, yeah, I have always like, you know, as a friend been really admired the way that you feel things in terms of like expressing your emotions. And, um, I, I struggle, that's something I definitely struggle with, especially in, in front of other people. But I, I do feel like being able to like, you, cause you mentioned just right now, how you had these building blocks to, mm-hmm. to feel and, and let yourself have whatever that was going to be and let it be whatever it was going to be at the same time know how you're going to like kind of cope with that um do you think that like being able to have those feelings is a part of um like the the blocks you put in place or is that something you think like your personality has always been able to like be with your emotion um probably a little bit of both uh i I feel like even someone who is open with their emotions, you know, so much in our society, we're told to not put them on. Mm-hmm. So it really is a, a, a muscle you have to train to be able to keep your, your emotions present, present and, and up front. Um, you know, being an actor, um, I always say that like most of acting is learning to like dig your well of emotions so you sort of dig your to to reach those true honest like depths um Mm -hmm. so that you can access all of these feelings that sometimes you know as a as humans or especially in american society like you know we're told not to feel and actors like that's kind of our whole job is to keep everything so present that we do feel all of those things and so that when you do have something like this happen, I, I almost, it's like, I've dug my well and now it's full, <laughs> you know? So it's like, this is, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say that I felt anything more or less than other ones, anyone else, but I do know for me, I definitely felt in ways that I might not have mm. had I not done, have I, had I not been on the journey of, you know, therapy and acting and like right. I, I have been for the past, you know, over a decade. Right. Um, so in a sense, it was like I, I had opened <laughs> something up that then I had to sort of process that um, because it was all very readily and not repressed. Um, so I had to then sort of sift through those emotions in a way that I, I don't know because I'm not, you know, like I said, grief is so individual. So I don't know because I don't know how other people's journeys are specifically, but, but yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Um, what has the past, you know, coming up on two years, I mean, I guess you said you, the first year felt like shock for you. So what, what, what has your experience looked like in the past two years and how has that kind of shifted throughout that time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the first year, yeah, like I said, it was, it was mostly shock and it's mostly, um, you know, trying to just, everything takes more effort. (laughs) Um, To wake up is a win. Yeah. To get out of bed is a win. Uh, To shower is a win. To, you know, it's sort of like 
you give yourself a lot of grace or you have to mm -hmm. um, give yourself a lot of grace in that, that beginning. Um, Cause it's like, yeah, life's, life's different. I, <laughs> it's, it's very weird to describe that it's like everything changes. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I, I, I mentioned this, I'm not the same, same person. Uh, I, my personality has definitely shifted slightly and how I react to things who I have empathy for has shifted. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and how I think about things has definitely shifted, but yeah, that first year is, and again, it's different, <laughs> it's different for everyone. Um, but that first year is a lot of mile markers for me. So it was just like, the 21st of every month was the worst because <laughs> it was always like, can I just go back again? Like before, can I go back one month? Can I go back two months? Can I go back three months? Um, and you just start, yeah, making these like almost alternate worlds. Uh, like, oh, well, we'd be doing this now, or I'd be doing this now, or, you know, he'd send these texts. Yeah. Um, what do you feel like, like, do you feel like you've learned anything about grief that you weren't expecting from this? Like, has going through this process, like, shown you something about grieving that you didn't realize before? Uh, yeah, I think grief like this um, is, is something that you really can't ever know. Um, you can obviously learn about it and research it and be close to it and be aware of it. You know, like I remember having extreme, extreme like empathy and sadness for people that would lose a brother or a parent or a child. And, uh, and yet it, you truly don't know until you're there. Um, so I think that in itself is the biggest thing you learn in grief that you don't know until you're there. Um, and uh, I mean, I've learned, I've learned countless things in the, you know, almost two years now. I always say that like, I have become a better person uh, since my brother died, but I'd, I'd much rather be a shittier person and have my brother around. <laughs> uh, but you also learn to have uh, dual emotions in a way I've never experienced before. You know, like I always processed emotions in a sort of linear way. Mm -hmm. um, you could be happy or sad. Right. And in grief, you can be both. Uh, equally in this exact same moment. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have much joy for really the first year, but I'd say more intensely like the first six months. Or if I did experience joy, I felt guilty for it. Mm -hmm. um, if I went days where I maybe didn't cry, I feel guilty for it. Or I'd be terrified that I had already started to forget or it had already started to drift away or to become less. Um, so it felt like he was getting farther away from me, which is not true. I just didn't know. I was like, well, if I'm not crying all day, every day, you know, right. will, will he start to, will his memory start to slip away? Yeah. And but that's not true. <laughs> so when I start experiencing joy again, um, it was hard because I'd still be sad. And so I'd find myself making not excuses, but justifications uh, for just being like, like, Oh, I'd be laughing or happy, but obviously I'm still sad. Like, you know, and having to try to justify that I was also sad or that I could, you know, I was just happy for a moment and then I'd go back to being sad. And I think that for me was one of the turning points um, in my kind of journey 
where I, I met my now partner uh, just a little over a year after he died. And uh, I have so much joy with him. And he makes me giggle and laugh daily, hourly. <laughs> um, and I remember feeling guilty for feeling so happy. Mm. and kind of coming to the realization that that wasn't helping anyone um mm. you know like you you're not being able to like fully embrace and be with the joy that you were like, yeah about it that wasn't helping anyone yeah me feeling guilty for feeling so happy mm -hmm. didn't mean that I was missing my brother less you know like it, it you almost put on this thing where people have seen you grieve and they have such you know compassion for you that you want to keep that going because in a sense well a comfort is great to have people around you and comfort you is wonderful but the idea that if people stop checking in on you or stop asking about him or stop that he stops to exist mm. um so you want to keep it almost going with as many people as possible yeah. so that he's constantly on everyone's mind not just my own and uh and so yeah so if i'm happy or joyful people stop if i'm okay or how it is or mm. in a sense he you know dies even more a little you know and not this is not true <laughs> it's right, just what right. i think we can sometimes get in our minds uh or at least for me i definitely had in my mind right um in regards to just wanting to keep him close so i think for me coming to terms that i can experience joy and still have grief and one does not invalidate the other and that they both can exist at the exact same time uh, is a profound a feeling to kind of have your brain <laughs> wrap its head around kind of as much as you can um but it's also a very freeing experience because you you no longer for me you can't see anything really in black and white anymore mm -hmm. um there's so many things gray yeah everything is gray you know so there can't be just joy there can't be just sadness like it there is always usually something of a mix but um but it doesn't have to be one or the other and how beautiful is that you know right um how beautiful will be you know the day i get married or have my child or children or whoever whatever that should look like and yet how heartbroken i'll be as well right both and both and so i think that has been one of the most uh profound things that i've learned yeah this idea of both and is something let's so i cannot relate to your experience and um the things you're talking about like the both and ideas a lot of ideas i've 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 learned about embraced in certain ways um but there is this this like inability to empathize in a way that i would i would want to to support but um it's just not been my experience um what what um like i guess like what do you do you have any like expectations or hopes for like the continuation of this processing and this grieving i would I would imagine it's something that, you know, will be a, I mean, it is going to be a part of your life forever, but do you, are you, do you have any hopes for the, the processing in the future or are you just kind of like taking it as it comes and? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, I have hopes that I will be able to continue this grief with the same amount of open-mindedness and compassion and willingness to explore it. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think that's one of the things that I am proud of myself on how I grieved is I chose to dive into it. Um, to not like wallow in it. Um, I'm sure I did at points, but to explore it, like my whole thing was if I had to have, if I had to go through this, then I wanted to feel it for what it was. Mm. And I wanted to truly experience it then. Um, I mean, it's, it's obviously changed my art and my craft and a lot of things center around him or, um, or ideas from him or things that I want to honor him with or hide, you know, little details about him and things. And, um, uh, but yeah, it's hard because it's almost difficult to think about uh it's almost difficult to think about the future too much because it again you just can get stuck on the well he won't be there part mm-hmm. um so in that sense you really kind of do have to keep it a one day at a time um but i think the idea that I'll experience him in some form in the, I don't want to say just future, but you know, um, but that he'll, his memory will grow with me over the years. Hmm. I think, I think I fear that I'll lose it. And uh, just from experiencing some friends of mine who are further along in the process, I have a friend who is about 20 years since he lost his brother and mm. we were talking about it because obviously it's now a bond that we have and we were talking about our brothers and I kind of saw him drift off into his mind mm. and it touched him like he teared up when he was talking about his brother and thinking about how you know even to this day 20 years later he still has conversations in his mind with his brother but about current things but he almost knows how his brother would react to him or respond to them and uh in a way it was equally it was equally comforting and heartbreaking because I was like oh great I'll I'll still be able to kind of talk with my brother in 20 years but also it's still going to tear me up in 20 years. And like, you know, like I said, that idea that it doesn't get easier. It just, you get stronger at at carrying it. Yeah. But I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to stop carrying this because that's what keeps him close. Right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for being so open about this and and sharing this part of your story um, with me and with everyone who's listening. Um, Is there anything that I haven't asked that has been a part of your process that you wanted to share about? I, I would say for me, it's, you know, I think I've mentioned it a few times that grief is personal. Yeah. So while it is like, you know, while my family and I do grieve together, uh, it's also just my journey. Right. And that there is no right or wrong. And I think when you start going down, um, for me, it was important to get out of the spiral the what if spiral or the like I wish spiral Mm -hmm. I wish I could just have you know it back or I wish I could just get a little bit more time with him or I wish I could have all of those pictures and and videos and voice memos back and um it's not it's not necessarily safe to live there in that very long um you have to focus on the things that you do have to remember and I mean you know 
thankfully we live in a world where there's videos on our phones and I mean, I, I have hundreds of videos of my brother, which is more than some people get by, you know, a long shot or even just from 20 years ago, it's more than sometimes people had. Right. Uh, so like that to me has been like good to kind of keep that focus, but also realizing, you know, I grieve, I grieve the physical, my physical brother, but I know, or at least I, I need to hold on to the fact that he still exists. Mm Uh, whether that be, you know, religion and, and people think of heaven or, you know, Buddhism and, or, you know, people think of reincarnation uh, or just energy. Yeah. That he existed once, so he exists altogether. Because yeah. uh, I think the hardest thing for me would be the idea that he no longer exists Mm. uh so kind of yeah helping yourself find what it is to get you to some peace Mm -hmm. while still being like honest and true uh there was a let's see if i can find it there was a quote oddly enough watching the finale of the good place (laughs) oh that um yeah Um, Maybe we shouldn't spoil. Just I won't. I won't give any spoilers. Truly, oh my gosh! Yes, please go watch the Good Place. I encourage everybody. The whole show is great, but this the last couple episodes that they have of the series is incredible in regards to afterlife. But there's a quote from it that's that's from a Buddhist quote that I shouldn't spoil anything. But it, I I listened to it and it just hit me and I sobbed and I'm like, oh, it's perfect. I love I love this quote. Um, Uh, picture a wave in the ocean you can see it its height and the way the sunlight reacts and then it crashes on the shore and it's gone but the water is still there the wave was just a different way for the water to be for a little while that's one conception of death for a buddhist the wave returns to the ocean where it came from and where it's supposed to be i love that (laughs) Yeah. It gives it gives me a little bit of uh of peace. Like I said, that I I won't have my brother in his, you know, five foot eleven receding hairline, you know, goofy voice. Yeah. Silly soul again. But I do believe that he is back around us and that he exists obviously through me and and, and my memories and and my families and he exists in his sons who start taking on different personalities of his (laughs) you know it's it's in a way seeing my 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 brother divided three ways and seeing a little bit of a different part of him in in three humans right Uh, It was, again, from what I said earlier, like, not that this was ever good, but we had two births after my brother died. My, my sister had a, had a a boy a couple months later, and then my brother's son was born uh, about five months later. And the life after the death was truly a blessing Mm. and truly just like needed. And I know not everybody gets that. Uh, experience but it was it was like you know his last gift as it's mm-hmm. does uh, yeah it's really beautiful and I think that um, visual of the, the ocean blue wave yeah. rushing and returning back to itself is Perfect. Powerful. Yeah, it's really powerful. Well, thank you 
so much mm-hmm. for sharing all that stuff and letting us into your journey and thanks grief really sucks grief also, sucks <laughs> it's also so important and it, it's the only way to get through it's the only way to get through it yeah. um so i appreciate you being so vulnerable and um yeah Thank you for being <laughs> open to spending space with this. Uh, like I said, a lot of people sometimes get awkward or weird around it and your ability to be so open with it creates a good, um, a safe space. I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, Cause there's a lot of stuff to go through in life and we all need to be able to remember that we're not alone, even yeah. if it's different um, and that it's okay to talk about it. Totally. Yeah. This it, grief is something I learned firsthand that um, this culture or this country and culture specifically is not good with it. It's America right. is not the best with dealing with grief. So in my mind, uh, A, I love talking about my brother. I'll talk about him all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it brings me close to him. But B, yeah, if I can just do my part in getting people uh, more comfortable sitting in the dark space and sitting in the hard parts and um, and being able to sit with other people who are in there right. um, without having to fix it or want to move on from it or you know just be like hasn't it been enough time yet <laughs> aren't you aren't you over it by now and right. uh, without people feeling so awkward because they don't know what to do realizing that you don't have to do anything sometimes sometimes just being a presence is all you can do so yeah I think it's an important thing to hold and and um yeah yeah um yeah thanks so much for sharing your story and um we'll catch you guys next time thank you